Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I add my welcome to all of our guests that are here, whether this is your first time or you're fairly new with us. If you don't know it, you're in a church that loves to worship Jesus. We love to worship Jesus. And we don't just worship him here in our services, but we worship him with our entire life. Because worship is about acknowledging who he is and his place within our life. And he is our king. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's all those things you heard in testimony service. You pulled it off. It went okay. Good job, church. But we also love to learn about him, don't we, church? We love to learn about him. We love to learn about him from our from reading the scriptures. We love to learn about him from our walk with him. We love to learn about him from preaching, and uh, we love to learn about him. We also love to serve one another, and we love to serve the community. Jesus said that this is how you're going to know that all men, all men are going to know that you're my disciples because you have love one for another. Can I tell you something? Nobody knows you love them unless you do something. You got to show them. Don't tell them that you have faith, James said. Show me you got faith. Well, I think the same is true. My wife loves that I tell her that I love her, but she likes it when I show her I love her. Now, she wants the words, but she also wants the actions. And so we, we, we love to serve one another because we love one another. And we love to serve our community. And we love to play. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? Hallelujah. And so if you're getting old and fuddy-duddy and you don't like to play, get over it. It's time to play. God is not meant for you to be all in the mully grubs. Life is hard enough without the joy of the Lord. Amen? And we have great times in play. And so I welcome all of our new folks to us. This is a great place to be, and uh, I'm glad that you're here. And to the rest of you that already know it's a great place to be, because you're the ones making it a great place to be. It's good to see you today, too. And to those of you that are online, I know that some of you ba are back from being sick. Welcome back. We're glad that you've recovered. Amen. And to those of you that maybe are recovering or for whatever other reason are online, we welcome you. It's good to see you. I apologize. You won't get to see everybody else and only my ugly mug, but here I am. Good morning, everyone, and it's good to see you. Actually, good afternoon at this point. Isn't there a beautiful presence of the Lord in this place? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Didn't want to pull Leela on you there and make you stand all day. <laughs> amen, amen. Now, I don't want to take you down in the mully grubs after I got you feeling pretty good and everybody's smiling and laughing. I don't want to kick the pail, as Sister Jackie always says. Um, but let's let's talk a little turkey on, on a couple of things. So. Uh, whether you guys realize it or not, this is my second to last sermon. My last one will be the end of March. And, uh, and so I'm excited about what I'm bringing to you today, and I'm looking forward to sharing something with you. But I spent a lot of time thinking about this sermon. When you kind of only have a couple more, you don't want to waste the time on them. And so uh, I think the Lord, I, I was struggling finding one, and then the Lord brought something to me that I can't believe I've never preached before. But I really have never preached it. I've taught it to many of you. Um, but I have not ever preached this, and this is something that's very, very important to share with you. So I'm looking forward to doing that in just a moment. But I want to say to all of you as well that as far as the two girls, well, actually, the three girls and I, that's how it is now. I, I, it's now three girls and I, 
it is a whole different world living with just three women. I have known many a good man who has had nothing but daughters, and I have heard their stories, and I've laughed with them and at them. I'm not laughing so much anymore. And uh, I love my girls, but it is a whole different ball game. And somebody had the knuckleheaded idea of doing that move and compressing the space. So I can't even get away from them. They're just, uh, you know, two-bedroom apartment is fine for Regina and I, but uh, me and the girls and Regina and I, mm, pray for me. It's real. It's real. The experience is real. But the three girls and I, so all of you know what, what's coming. What's the season? What's the season? What's coming? Come on. Y'all been doing this a lot of years with me. What's coming down the pike? I'm not talking about our guests. They have no clue what's coming. What's coming? It's vacation time. That's right. It's Beardsley vacation time. And normally you all are like, whoo, thank God he's going away for a while. Gives you a break, gives you a little bit more calm, et cetera. It is vacation time. But in this transition, and I've mentioned this to you before, but I don't want to neglect saying it to all of you. Uh, this year, given the transition, I'm dead serious when I tell you, January and February need to be times of prayer and discernment. We've done all the hard work of laying out all of our documents, making clear the decision that's in front of us. Now it's time for each of us individually to lay all of that human effort on the side and to say, God, speak to me. As a member of your body, give me direction so that when we come in on March 5th to our annual business meeting, we are all coming in having discerned and being able to do it with confidence. Um, my second son is very much in love, as you all know. Uh, don't talk about marriage alley or anything like that if you don't want to get a long dissertation. <laughs> He's very much in love. Um, he is very much my son, so short questions get long answers. Okay, that's me too, so I, I can't fault him. He's, he's got that from me, but he's very much in love, very much in love, and it's fun, and we're excited for him. We love Allie as well, just not as much as Caleb does. <laughs> I mean, I, I love Allie, but I don't love her as much as Caleb does. Caleb is just over the moon. So, but one of the things that, that mom and I counseled them as their relationship was developing is that the reason for asking all of the tough questions, looking at all the issues, mundane issues, important issues, do you realize that how many children you have is much more significant than where you set the thermostat? Yet I am not sure which one is more detrimental to a marriage. Children, who are little disruptors, or where you set the thermostat. Those of you that have been married, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Where you set the thermostat is a constant drip of a fight within, within a marriage. And so all of these types of things, we encourage them to discuss. But after they'd done all of that and they kind of came to us and said, Mom, Dad, we, we, we think this is the one. We said, the deal is, is you need to give yourself the time and the space so that you confirm in your spirit, in your mind, 
so that when you make that commitment and it comes under attack later, you don't have to doubt the decision. You can go forward with confidence. That is what I'm telling you in this season of discernment. You want to, we've done all the legwork, we've asked the questions, we've put the documents in place, we've cast vision, we've talked. We've, in fact, people have looked at me and said, Stephen, how, how long does it take for you to resign? I've been very methodical about it, but now is the season for us to set that aside. That was necessary work. That was appropriate work. Now set that aside and let's hear from God so that when we make the decision in March, we don't have to doubt. I know how important that is in life decisions, and I also know how important that is in the life of a church. And so that's what that is. And so as we were ending the, the year, as we were coming to the close of the end of the year, the Lord began to deal with me and said, son, you're a distraction. You're going to get in the way of them praying and discerning. You're a distraction. You need to go away. I said, well, I'm already going away. He said, no, I need you to go away longer. And so my family, all the family will be on vacation in my normal times. Uh, beginning about January 16th, we're headed off into Maine. We're going to try Maine for a little bit. It's got even more snow than Vermont. We want to see whether we like it better or not. Um, and then head over to Vermont where we normally go and where none of you want to follow me. <laughs> but then the boys will be back. Marcus and Caleb will be back. Vincent will head back to Columbus. Allie will head back to California. And the girls and I, the three girls and I, we're going to stay a little bit longer and then we will attend Winter Fire. And so you will not see us until that Sunday, March 5th where we are in service with you, and then that evening we will have our annual business meeting. And I want you all to know it's very intentional. If you were guessing, if you were wondering, if you were wondering if Steve was having a, you know, an unintentional moment, no, 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 this is very intentional because I believe that not only I have discerned what I'm supposed to do, I don't have any doubt. Now you have steps that are in front of you that I'm walking with you in that I want you to spend that time in prayer and discernment so that you don't have any doubt. And then we will come together and we will cast our vote and we will go forward in the name of the Lord. Amen? Um, and so separate the, 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 the grief, the sorrow, the sadness, those things that you're feeling with regard to my leaving. Separate that from the decisions about the future of this church. Okay? Because the future of this church is secure because this church is God's. And he's invited every one of you to be a part of that future. He wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to be a participant. He has great plans in store for you. And by you, I mean collectively, but by you, I also mean you individually. Everybody point, point at yourself, point at your chest and say, he's talking about me. You cannot imagine what God has in store for you. You say, well, I've messed up. I don't care if you messed up. We all messed up. Well, I, 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 it hasn't turned out the way I thought it was going to. Join the club. God has great plans in store for you. You may remember the passage from Jeremiah. I have 
good plans for you. I have nothing but good stored up for you. I hath not seen, Paul said, ear hath not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's not just in heaven. That's here on earth. Can I get a testimony? Has anybody had God be good in the past? Has he done something amazing in the past? Come on now. He's not going to fail us as we walk forward into what we cannot yet see. Because he's the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He sees everything all at once. And so separate that and really give God a chance to speak into your spirit. And that way we can come together and collectively as a body, we can make this next decision and do so where we don't have to look back with any doubt, because you will have challenges. Everything will not go smoothly. For those of you that are starting to do the crazy thing we do when people either die, I'm not dying, or they leave, we begin to think of only the good they've done and forget all of the bad. Some of you need to dredge up that it has not always been a cakewalk with Stephen Beardsley as pastor. I have not always done the best thing for everybody. I have not always been the best leader. Come on now. Think of some of the, think of some of the junk I've done. Think of some of the mistakes I've made. Think of some of the uh, apologies I've had to give. Think of, come on now. And God was faithful through all of that. So God will be faithful through all of what's in the future as well. God is faithful. God is faithful. Amen. All right. So I want you to know that. So today, if you really want to crown my neck and make me feel really, really uh, bad and all that, you can come because you're not going to see me for a few weeks. And if you don't, that's fine too. I'll be back in March and we'll do the work of the transition in March and uh, we'll walk forward in God. And we're excited about what God has for us, even as we get nervous about what is the unknown. If you're nervous with the unknown, so am I. But that is what presents us with the opportunity for faith. Because faith is what we can't see. It's things we hope for that haven't yet come to pass. God, are you really going to come through? Is that promise really going to be fulfilled in my lifetime? And there's the opportunity for faith. And what's the scripture say? Without faith... It is impossible to please him. So let's flip that to the positive side. With faith, you please God. So in those moments when we're scared, in those moments where we're really uncomfortable about the unknown, we have an opportunity to please our Father. Will you believe in me, he says? Will you trust me? Will you have hope in me? You can't see it yet, but will you trust my word? Will you trust the word that I've given to you in prayer? This pleases him. And I know that we all want to please him. Amen? All right. With that out of the way, let me turn to the scriptures. But actually, I don't want to start with the scriptures today. I want to start with a lovely title slide. Mar did a great job, bro. I love it. I want to preach to you today about something that those of you that are in quizzing, you think you know, and you do, to one extent or another, but I want to preach to you a discipleship principle that has been absolutely foundational in my life. And I have never, 
I have implemented it to you. I have taught it to you in different forms, but I have never preached this to this congregation. And when I was in prayer and, and seeking God and saying, God, okay, I, I already know what I'm preaching to you, March 26th. That's, that, I've had that for months. So what do I do in the second last sermon? And this came to me, and I'm excited to preach it to you. I can't believe I've been so stupid that I haven't preached it to you before. Now, we've implemented it. You'll recognize a lot of the contours of it, but I want to preach to you, are you zapped? And, Mar, you did a great job, man, because it's a question mark. It's not a given. Daffy's down in the corner going, I don't know, are you? And Donald's not sure whether he's zapped. So let me talk to you about, are you zapped? I don't know how to spell that either. I'm not sure if it should be Z-A-C-K or Z-A-C-H, but we're going to, because it's kind of an adaptation of a Hebrew word, and, well, I'll explain. So let me go back to my childhood. So I spent seven years in a ministry called Bible quizzing. I did not have the opportunity to do it as a junior Bible quizzer, and honestly, I'm glad because I, I didn't like memorizing. I still don't like memorizing, and uh, so it might have been too much. But I spent seven years from the age of 12, until I turned 19 in a ministry called Bible Quizzing. I did not know when I began and I went to my first national tournament in 1985 that it had only been a few years, like two, three, maybe four years prior, that this old couple named Marvin and Claudette Walker, I mean, they looked ancient of days. I now realize they were in their 30s. I'm, I'm not kidding you, literally, I'm, I'm not kidding you. They were in their 30s. Uh, Marvin and Claudette Walker, they they were the national quiz master. So everything's new. When you go to something new, when you're in a new program, everything's new. And so you don't know anything. You don't know what's going on. You don't know anything. And so so I went to the national tournament. It was in Dallas, Fort Worth. I remember that. And uh, so we went there. And starting there, and actually, if I remember correctly, even starting earlier in extravaganza, Sister Becky uh, Sanford at that time, which is how, by the way, Sister Becky Cohen, I saw, there you are, how she came to the Lord. That's why Ben and Nick had opportunity to grow up in the church is because Sister Becky uh, Cohen and Sister Becky Sanford shared a room in which Nick and Carrie were each born, all right? And so that's how, that's how Becky, uh, and Becky ended up marrying somebody down in Kaiser named Russell, and so now she lives in Kaiser. But she was my first coach, and she had a Volkswagen Beetle like the old one, not the new sleek ones. No, the old one. And I remember her driving us, and she was, she was a, Becky, forgive me if you watch this or hear this, forgive me, but she was a little bit nervous, okay? She was a nervous lady, and she had to drive through New York City to get to Bristol, Connecticut, where our first extravaganza was. And I remember sitting in that car along with, believe it or not, you might think Nellie's younger than you think, or you might think she's older, but Nellie back there, that's what I call her affectionately, Sister Janelle Friend, she was my quiz mate. You can hit him later, Janelle. She was 18 and I was 12. And Janelle was as terrified of everything as Becky was. So here it is. I'm not scared of hardly anything. And the two other ladies are terrified of everything. And here we go. We're headed to extravaganza, and I air out. I, it was a crazy year. It was a crazy year. Janelle wanted to kill me because I left her at the board all alone. No, it, Anyway, it was – I can't remember it happening at that extravaganza, though knowing what Brother and Sister Walker did, I am almost positive that it happened there. But I remember at Dallas-Fort Worth, there would be these devotionals 
and without fail for seven years of my life, I would hear this story told again and again and again. Now, I'm going to tell you a brief version of it. Some of you may have heard it from when the walkers were back with us, but I want to tell all of you a brief version. But if you want the full version, it's like an hour and a half, you can get all of the gory details, which is worth your time. Go to SeniorBibleCuisine.com, and on SeniorBibleCuisine.com, there's a resources tab, and then there's a video tab. And the main video that's sitting there, if you just click on it, it's Sister Walker retelling this story. SeniorBibleCuisine.com, and you can hear all of the story. I'm going to tell you a brief one because my point isn't the story this morning. But in order to understand my discipleship point, you've got to know the story. So Brother and Sister Walker, be, before they began to lead this Bible quizzing ministry, which that's why we have those trophies in the back there, and also over in the house, we have hundreds of trophies that when we destroy that house, they will go by the wayside. All those trophies will pass down. But the trophies of the individuals who were ministered to and affected and formed by it, they still stand. Because the trophies of Bible quizzing are not metal and plastic and wood. They are people. They are people. So, Brother and Sister Walker, before they began to lead this ministry, they were coaches. Now, you may find this hard to believe, but Marvin Walker, a very godly man, is an extremely competitive man. You will find that many of us pastors are extremely competitive. There must be something in the water or something about this, but they're very, very competitive. And he was coaching teams in a city called Cincinnati, Ohio. And this happened to be during the era when the Cincinnati Reds were a hot thing. They were a hot item. A guy named Pete Rose was playing for them. So those of you that are baseball fans, you would, you would recognize that name. And, uh, and they were, it, was, it was known as the Big Red Machine. And uh, Brother Walker used that to motivate his quizzers, and it was all about winning. It was all about succeeding. Here's the kicker. You're sitting there going, well, I'm not competitive. I don't need this discipleship lesson because I'm more Christian than you are. Let me break some news to you. Competitive is not just about you versus somebody else. Competitive is also about you succeeding. And discipleship is actually formed less by the moments when you succeed and more by the moments when you fail. What formed Peter to stand on the day of Pentecost and preach the Acts 2 message? His epiphany that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God? or his failure to speak in a moment when a little servant girl said, you're one of his. And he says, I don't know him. And she says, yes, you do. I can tell your accent. And he cursed and denied him three times. Somebody here this morning needs to hear me and hear me very clearly. You think your failure is for your demise. I'm here today to tell you that we serve a God who works all things together, and your failures are actually the ones that make you the better disciple. Are you supposed to fail? No. 
Are we giving you license to fail? As Paul would say, no. But failures are those moments where our master is able to form us when he places his hands upon us as we are on that potter's wheel. And our imperfections, our imperfections and our problems and our issues are what are used in the hands of the Almighty to do his work. So if you sit here today and you go, well, I'm not competitive. This isn't so much about winning against somebody else. This is about succeeding. And all of you are here today because you want to succeed at something. You want to go to heaven. You may have wandered all over the path. You may have gone all over the place. You may have, but you just keep coming back. In fact, some may look at you and go, why are you still here? You may even look at yourself and say, I don't even know why I'm getting up and I'm, I'm putting on my clothes and I'm going to church because I am such a failure. Because there's something inside of you. The fact that you are here today, the fact that you are listening online tells me that you still desire to win. So don't get caught in the competitive of winning against somebody else and catch the larger principle. So Brother Walker was very competitive, and they were leading this team in winning, 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 winning. Fast forward, there's lots of details. Go watch Sister Walker. She'll tell you all the, all the permutations of it. Fast forward, the Lord corrects her. She's in a restaurant. She picks up a little Donald figurine. And in this figurine, it's a typical pose. Many of you have seen it. Donald's one hand is up. It's not just Donald that does it. All, all kinds of the Disney characters do. Donald's hand is up, and his other hand is behind his back. So she picks up these figurines, and the Lord begins to deal with her and gives her a scripture and says, you need to stop teaching these young people that the measure of success is their win. And you need to start teaching these young people that the measure of their success is their ability to worship me with their failure. Yes, you heard me correctly. Not worship me with their success, Worship me with their failure. And so God gave her a scripture, and Donald became a mascot. And for short, instead of calling him Zachariah from the scripture that I'm going to read to you in just a moment, he got to be called Zach. So I know you're all convinced that's Donald, but it's actually not. It's Zach. Give me my Zechariah 4.6. This is the scripture the Lord spoke to Sister Walker's heart. And again, I'm giving you the very short version. Now I'm going to bring you to the discipleship point. The Lord speaks and says, I say this to Zerubbabel, it is not by force nor by strength. It's not by your success. It's not by your ability. It's not by that which you accomplish. But it is by my spirit, saith the Lord of heaven's armies. 
And so seven years in this ministry, I would hear at least once a year, if not multiple times a year, I'd see this little Donald figurine come out of people's pockets. I would see an image go up on the board. This scripture of Zechariah 4, 6 would come out, and we would get taught the lesson. Young people, when you step to the board, your hand behind your back is taking all that you've done, good and bad. All the days you've memorized Scripture the way you should and all the days you have cut corners. All the days you memorized your assigned five verses and all the weeks that you jammed 50 verses into one single week. Or if you were really an overachiever, 150 in three days like Ben tried to do. Multiple times. Whether you were disciplined in your review or you were a failure. Now, let me, let, me, let me rework this a little bit. Whether you prayed the way that you set out to pray or whether you got distracted in life and didn't pray. Whether you made the choice that was right about who you married. Whether you made the choice that was right about your finances. Whether you made the choice that was right in how you even did your relationships with friends and family. Whether you were faithful in church attendance. Whether you gave God of your finances. Whether the moments that you were faithful. The moments that you were not faithful. The moments that you would succeed. Someone would say this is a good disciple. Or the moments that you were an absolute abysmal failure. Take all of that. Sister Walker would look at us as young people and she'd say, young people, when you step to that quiz board, when you step to the moment of worship, you take all of that and you put it behind you. That's Donald's hand back there behind him. Because once you step to that board, you're not going to worship him selectively. You're going to worship him with all that you have done, good and bad, successful and failure, right and wrong. Because the point of worship is the person being worshiped, not the worshiper. And she would beat into us. And I use that language in all due respect, Sister Walker. I hope that you're not offended by me. But she would verbally beat that into us. Brother Walker would verbally beat that into us. Almost every tournament I would go to, I'd hear some version of this. Every nationals, we would hear this. And it was beat into our spirits. Young people, when you step to that board, when it is time to worship Jesus, it is not based upon how you have performed should you aspire to do everything right? Absolutely. Should you aspire to memorize your assigned five verses a day, five days a week? Absolutely. Should you try to avoid being like Ben and memorizing 150 in three days? Absolutely. Because every once in a while your coach is going to tell you, no, you're not going to a tournament because you did that. And I know you did that and you don't know your verses. Even though you can quote them, you don't know them. Sometimes there are consequences to our choices. But she would say to us, it does not matter. At the moment of worship, at the moment when that point has arrived where the king is present and you now have been called to worship him, your failures do not matter. Your successes, you set those behind you. And the uplifted hand is with all that you've done, good and bad. You offer him what you have. 
And she would say, the reason that you do this, young people, is because in the end, it doesn't really matter what you have to offer him. Because it's not by your might. And it's not by your power. It's not by your study. It's not by your skill. It's not by your obedience. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by his power. And she would say, you open that hand up and you offer him everything. You offer him your good moments and you offer him your bad moments. You offer him your moments of obedience and you offer him your moments of disobedience. You offer him your moments of holiness and you offer him your moments of unholiness because he's seen it all anyway. He knows it all anyway. It's all present anyway. And he still loves you because God so loved you that he gave himself and he commended and demonstrated this love for you in that while you were still a sinner, he died for you. Your performance is not what gives you the right or the ability or the duty to worship him. Who he is is why you worship him. Are there consequences if you don't memorize your verses? Absolutely. But when it comes time to worship all that you are, whole and broken, functioning and dysfunctional, competent and incompetent, you offer it to him. But she would tell us, and Brother Walker would tell us, that that open hand was something else also. She said, with that open hand, you offer him your worship. But that open hand would also be the way that you're going to indicate to God that you are not demanding, grasping, or trying to control the outcome. And she said, young people, you will learn that there will be times when you think you deserve to win. You've had more good days than bad days. You memorized your verses the way you should versus the way you shouldn't. You were faithful and not unfaithful. And you will assess yourself as being poised to read. And she said, and you will find in that moment Sometimes because you have been faithful. Sometimes because you have done what is right. Sometimes not because you failed a test, but because you passed the test. The master will say to you, I'm not giving you a win this time. I'm going to ask you to take a loss. She says, you got to keep that hand open. Not just so you can worship him, but you got to keep that hand open. Don't grasp for the win. Because she said, young people, there'll be other times when you haven't studied the way you're supposed to. And you haven't memorized the way you're supposed to. You haven't done what you're supposed to. But because you, for some reason, that the king only understands, the father only understands, because you've put all that and you've offered it up to him and worship, he will give you wins that you do not deserve. So you are saved by grace and not of works. You're saved by grace through faith, not based on what you've done. It's a gift. You don't even deserve it. But the master gives it to you. 
They would beat this into us and they would say, young people, what you don't understand, all you see is the trophies and the games and we understand that and we'll even allow you to have fun with that. But we're teaching you a principle that you're going to understand later in life. And I'll be honest, I'd sit there and I'd game it. I'd sit there and I'd try to figure out how this principle works. I could get to the trophy. And I'd like to argue that almost every Bible quizzer, while they are Bible quizzing, does exactly that. They listen, but they don't listen. They hear, but they don't hear. Because that trophy and that competition and that succeeding and that validation and all that stuff that we're looking for, which, by the way, you're looking for it in your salvation, too. You're looking for it in your discipleship. You're looking for it. I want to be a good and faithful servant. I want God to be pleased with me. I want my brothers and sisters to be proud of me. Brother and Sister Walker planted in me a seed, and they planted in many others. And in the quiz community, there's this question, are you zacked? And what we mean by that when we say, are you zacked, is have you gotten the realization that it is not by might and it is not by power? It is not by your performance. It is not by how you have succeeded or failed. It's not the good or the bad. But it is all by the power of the almighty God. It is his spirit that does this work. It is him that is your savior. It is he who has redeemed you. It is he who makes you holy. He is he who makes you righteous. It is he who redeems you. Act. And I'm, I'm infamous in the Bible quiz community because I will do things to test people whether there's act or not. And I've gotten in all kinds of trouble. Ben can tell you, I've gotten in so much trouble. I don't care because, see, I'm a little simple. I don't mean that derogatorily, but I mean I'm a little simple. And that woman and that man, and my parents backed it up, beat that into my mind, and I got zacked. So when you start worrying about what your brother or your sister's done, when you're worrying about how one person on one team's quizzing versus you, I know you ain't Zacked. When you're starting to compare among yourselves, I know you got a Zach problem. When you're lifting yourself up with all the good you've done, you haven't been Zacked. When you're tearing yourself because of all that you failed in, I know you haven't been Zacked. Because it's not by your might, it is not by your power, it is by his spirit that everything happens I've lived my entire discipleship journey with this at the center I don't know why it's taking me so long but perhaps God saved it for this moment because this is how you are a disciple this is how you are a Peter this is how you are a Paul come on now Every time Paul lifts his hands to worship God, those hands held those robes that stoned Stephen. Don't tell me Paul didn't have regrets. Don't tell me Paul didn't know that he had failed. Paul didn't change God's. 
Don't use the language of conversion. Paul didn't get converted. He says, when God in the fullness of time revealed his son in me, Paul received a revelation on the road to Damascus. He didn't get a conversion. He was still using the same scriptures and serving the same God. He just had failed in his understanding. He had been imperfect in his discipleship. I'm here today to tell all of you, so am I and so are you. I don't care how much you love him, you're going to fail. I don't care how much you love him, you're going to fall short. I don't care how much you love him, you're not going to perform up to the standard. It cannot be by your standard anyway. It's not what he's going to judge you. Your righteousness, he said, is as filthy rags in his sight. You can't do it on your own. It's not your ability. It's not your obedience to the rules. Do the rules matter? Absolutely. They're guides. They're schoolmasters. Does it matter when you disobey? Yes, but I'm telling you in the end, your salvation and your discipleship, your worship of the Almighty is not dependent on how well you have performed in the past. I'm here to challenge some disciples in those moments when the king shows up and you don't understand why he's there and you don't understand why you're there, take your hand and put behind you all the good and all the bad, all the success and all the failure and lift that other hand to him in worship and say, Father, I receive whatever you gift to me. I trust your discipline and I trust your forgiveness. I trust your love and I trust your judgment. What God had done is transformed a couple into understanding how to make disciples through a game. It really wasn't about the game. A lot of people in quizzing mistake that about me because I am very competitive and I'm also very loud. So they hear me coach, they hear my intensity, they hear all this stuff and they think that boy's all about the win. <laughs> As soon as you draw that conclusion, you ain't been zacked. <laughs> see, when you've been zacked, you can know others who are zacked because you can see it in their attitude, in their spirit. And we all struggle to be zacked. There are days when we struggle to be true to zacked. But I'm here today to tell you this isn't about Bible quizzing. If you think I'm preaching about Bible quizzing, you've missed the point today. This is about an understanding that we are saved by the grace of God and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest we should boast. This is the work of the Almighty. He died for you while you were still a sinner. I don't care if you're struggling with sex addiction pornography, drugs, alcohol. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care when you knew that that was wrong or was right. I don't care how broken you are. I want you to understand that it is by the almighty spirit of God that any human being will be saved. And if you'll take your brokenness and your successes and put them behind you and offer worship up to him who is worthy, you are not worthy, I am not worthy, but he is always, every day, every moment worthy. If you will worship him, he will save you. Not about performance. Are there consequences? Yes. And yet, there's a God who's sovereign and walks with you in your brokenness. There were times I lost quizzes because I didn't memorize my verses the way I was supposed to. But God had a, lot, had a much larger plan involved. <laughs> he had a much larger plan involved. 
Can you find yourself in poverty because you're not including him in your finances? Absolutely. But I'm telling you right now, God don't need your finances. It's not about your money. He got a much larger plan involved. Can you find yourself in sickness because you've been immoral? Absolutely. But I'm telling you right now, this body isn't what God's focused on. It's going to be destroyed and resurrected. God's got a much larger plan involved. Can you find yourself in places that you didn't envision and suddenly look at them and come to the realization in repentance, God, this is my fault. I made some mistakes. I made some wrong choices. But here I am. Absolutely. But I'm telling you, this life is but a puff of smoke. This is not what he's focused on. He's focused on you for eternity. He's focused on you being his child. I don't care what any of my children do. They are my children. I will love them because of what who they are, not because of what they do. I will be disappointed by what they do. I am disappointed at times by what they do, but I am never, ever disappointed that my children are my children. They are mine. Do you understand that you are not your own? Do you understand that you've been bought with a price? Do you understand that God has called you his son and his daughter? He has adopted you and grafted you into his family. And he loves you not because of how you perform. He loves you because of who you are to him. Zacked? Are you zacked? See, when you start putting out litanies and judging one another, I know you ain't been zacked. When you start those checklists on yourself or on somebody else, I know you haven't been zacked. Do I believe in repentance? Absolutely. Do I believe in water baptism in the name of Jesus? Absolutely. Do I believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? Absolutely. Do I believe that we are pursuing holiness in lifestyle and in our in everything of who we are? Absolutely. But I want you to understand that if you have a perfect checklist, God says, Filthy rags, nastiness, fall short. There's no way that you get it right. But guess what? I'm glad you tried. I'm glad you love me. But do you love me enough to worship me? Do you love me enough to take your brokenness and your fullness? Are you, are you willing to love me enough that you take everything you've succeeded at and everything you failed and you lift your hands to me and you say, I love you, not because I'm worthy, but because you are worthy. And because you love me, I love you back. And I won't stop loving you back back. You don't grasp. You don't demand. You open the hand up, and if the master cares to give you grace, you'll receive it. Some people need to hear me today. Absolutely, you have not followed the path you thought you were going to follow. Absolutely, you've not done what you thought you were going to do. Absolutely, you've made mistakes, and they are costly. But I'm here today to tell every single person within the sound of my voice, our master is not focused on your might or your power. He knew from day one you were going to fail. He knew from day one you were not going to succeed. He knew from day one it required his sinless blood. He knew from day one it would require him to be the Savior. So he's not disillusioned and he's not put off by you. He loves you with a love that knows no end. That's why his mercies are new every day. His grace never runs short. Where sin, your brokenness, your failings grow, his grace doth much more grow. 
The problem with the Zach principle is, is it's a pride killer. Because it means when you lose, you don't get to condemn yourself because you don't know if you lost. And that's actually what's pleasing God. Right now, so many of my peers, they're trying to be respectful, but they're looking at me saying, Steve, you have lost your mind. I look like a fool. But my heavenly father is saying, Steve, I'm really proud of you. You're taking a loss. But in my picture, it's a win. So you don't even get the mully grub when you lose. You don't even get to feel bad when you take a loss. And on the flip side, when everything's going great and everybody's going, man, I wish I could be you. What'd you do? Get all of that. You don't get to take credit for that either. Because you also know in that hand behind your back, you know all the things you didn't do that you should have done. You know all the things you did that you shouldn't have done. You know all your failings. And you know acutely, when you've been zacked, you know acutely that it wasn't by your might and it wasn't by your power. Even if you put a lot of might and a lot of power in, no matter how much you put in, it's not by might and it's not by power. It's by the sovereign spirit of the almighty God. The win is his. The glory is his. The worship is his. It's not about you. Whether you win or you lose, it's not about you. This is why Paul said, I've learned that whether I'm abounding or whether I'm in a base, whether I am full or whether I am empty, whether I have everything I need or whether it feels like I have nothing at all, I have learned how to be content. I have learned how to live in his spirit. We don't walk by the flesh. We don't walk by what we can see. We don't walk by our abilities. We walk by the spirit. Discipleship is about dying out to self. And in my 27 years of pastoring here, I have learned that the, actually the toughest part of dying out to self is not when we have succeeded. It's when we have failed. Because it feels so much better to just sit there in our misery. Sit there in how far we've fallen short. And sit there because there can't be a way for God to use you. And if you told some of your peers, they'd probably tell you that's right. You can't be. But they're wrong. Because it's never been about how well you memorized your verses. It's never been about how faithful you read your Bible. It's never been about your prayer and fasting. Those are important things. They matter. They will help you. But in the end, they will not save you. There is only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. He shares his glory with no one. This is why Paul said, you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. Folks, are you missing the point? Not of yourselves. That means all that you do 
does not contribute to right standing with God. Now, as Paul says throughout his letters, am I telling you that it's okay to sin? God forbid. That is not, well, why would you want to do that? Why would you love God and just say, I want to just go do whatever I want to do? I mean, yeah, his grace might reach you, but you're going to live a hell of a life. And I'm not meaning that in a positive sense. It's going to be a horrible life. You don't want to do that. But in our preaching and teaching to you about what it means to follow Jesus, we may have inadvertently given you the impression that all the obedience that you do, all the things that you are faithful to God in, that they somehow accrue to your salvation. Absolutely not. You can have done everything right, and he says, take a loss. And you could have done a lot wrong, and he says to you, I'm going to be kind to you and give you what you don't deserve. What do you think he's talking about when he says, judgment is mine, saith the Lord? What do you think he means when he says, vengeance is mine? What do you think he means when he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will judge whom I will judge? I'm here today to talk to some disciples. It's time to get zapped. I don't care what you've done. When you walk into the house of God on Sunday morning, you stick it behind your back, you lift your hand to the Almighty, and you worship him. When you step into a small group and you feel like you are not a part, you've got some distance, you've done something, you stick all that behind you and put your hand to the heavens and you worship him. When he calls you to do something, when he asks you to take a step and you say, I'm not worthy, and you're right, it's not by your worthiness, it's not by your power, it's not by your might. By his spirit. If the king invites you, take him up on his invitation. I want to close with a passage that I think will speak to you. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, and he says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. What was the whole argument about circumcision? Without it, God couldn't save you. There's something that if you don't do it, God can't save you. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Not what we've done for him. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though, Paul says, I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now, what's very funny, take it back one verse there, Candace. Just pause for a moment. 
What's hilarious to me is that Paul has told us not to do this and then shows how strong the impulse is to do it because he then does it. While illustrating that you shouldn't put confidence in any of your efforts, but rather it's in what Christ has done, Paul gives a litany of what he's done. So when you find yourself falling short of the standard that Paul's telling you, Paul fell short as well. But in the end, where's our confidence? In Christ and what he's done, not in us. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. Let me pause for a moment to our quizzers. I know those trophies are awesome. We display them with honor. But I'm telling you right now, because I won't speak to this congregation as a Bible quiz coach ever again. It was never about the trophies. Never. Even when I, as a quizzer, thought it was about the trophies, it wasn't about the trophies. And it's not about the trophies now. Now, go win us some trophies. You say, well, I doubt that. You'll never learn the principle of denial unless you have something to deny. You'll never learn the principle of abasement if you haven't risen. So go win those trophies. Go study real hard. But parents and coaches of this Bible quiz ministry, hear me very clearly. It has never been. It never has been. It cannot be. You cannot let it ever be about the trophies. It is always about those disciples you are making. That's why, parents, when you get all worked up because your quizzer's not answering questions, I know you're not zacked. When you're bribing them to get a question so you can feel better about all the hours of work, you are struggling with your zack. It is not about winning. It is not about losing. It is all about the God we serve. It is about his word that is drawing us closer to him. Let me go on. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Wait, because I did better? Because I finally got my act together? Because I realized that wasn't what was important, but I've replaced it with something else that was important? Hear me, dear Christian. All those goals you had when you were out as a sinner, you're not just supposed to find new goals inside of the kingdom. You're supposed to have a complete transformation of how you think. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. Does it matter what you do? Yes, but not as much as you think. 
It's a tool. It's an instrument of him challenging you in your discipleship, challenging you, do you love me? Keep my commandments. But your salvation is not going to come because you kept his commandments. Your salvation is going to come because he loved you. Oh, I hope somebody's hearing me today. Your salvation ain't coming because you kept his commandments. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments. That's an absolute true statement. But you are not saved by what you do. You are saved by him. Not of your works, not of your ability, not of what you do, but rather by what he has already done. I consider all this now worthless, Paul says to the Philippian church, because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Pause there for a moment, Cancer. Take it back. Do you understand everything else? That's not just all the stuff he gave you the pedigree on and he succeeded in. He also had to discard after coming to Christ, after having him revealed in him. He had to discard all his failures too. Behind the back. I'm not telling you you got to learn how to be Zach. I'm not telling you that Zach is the only way to get this principle. But this is how it was taught to me. And so I'm going to teach it to you. You understand at this season that I've looked at 27 years of ministry, in my judgment, there are some things I have succeeded spectacularly, and there are others that I feel that I have failed beyond proportion. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. It's always been about him. It's always been about him. I've discarded everything so that I can gain Christ. Next one, Candace. And become one with him. What did Jesus say? You'll be my disciples if you will abide in me and I in you. There's so much. I got got to wrap. I got to wrap. I'm already going along. I hope you all be kind to me. It's my second to the last one. I always could preach long, but it's my second to the last one. So be kind to me. I'll have you out in time to do Bible quizzing. Promise. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on what we do. (laughs) It depends on whether we memorize our five verses a day, five days a week. It depends on us avoiding 150 verses in three days. Mm -mm. Depends on whether I read my Bible the right amount or I I pray in the right way or I, I function in my serving the right way or I remember to play. Some of our groups are doing great. You all are players. Some of us are horrible. Our groups are not playing well. Straighten it up. Get the play together. Come on. If you're too busy to play, you're too busy. But in the end, it's not about that. I become righteous through faith in Christ. Take it back, Candace. 
For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Next verse. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. You notice, Canis, slow down. You got power, that's the wins. You got suffering, that's the losses. You want to be a disciple, you got to settle in that sometimes you're going to win and sometimes you're going to lose. But whether you win or whether you lose, you are the Lord's. Whether you perform or you fail, whether you're obedient or you're disobedient. So we can just do whatever we want. God forbid. You missed the point. You ain't been zacked. Go back to school, and I'll keep bugging you. This pastoral team will keep bugging you. Your brothers and sisters will keep bugging you until it finally clicks in and you get zapped. But you are not saved by what you do. I want to know Christ not only in his mighty power. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death. Next verse. So that one way or another. <laughs> so that one way or another. Whether I'm winning or I'm losing. Whether I'm succeeding or I'm failing. Whether I'm doing good or I'm doing bad, one way or the other, I will experience the end goal, which is resurrection from the dead, or to put it in other language, the second life. That's what God's plan is. God doesn't give a rip about how this goes down here. God doesn't really care how well you do or how poorly you do down here. He doesn't care what kind of houses and land you got. He doesn't care how many souls you reach. He does not care about all of that. He cares about when it's all said and done. And when he wraps time and says, that's it and it's finished, he wants you in his arms. He wants you with him. He wants you saved in his presence. Discipleship is the ongoing process by which he continues to pull you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But in the end, your, your deeds will not save you. He will save you. So whether I'm seeing the power of God or I'm suffering with him, whether I'm winning or I'm losing, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. I don't mean to stand up here and say, hey, I've been perfectly zacked. I have not. Let me put it to you this way. I do know when you're not zacked. But even when you are zacked, you'll wobble some. And in those moments, your brothers and sisters and the Almighty God are supposed to look at you and go, you're having a problem with being zacked. I smell it. And Paul says you correct one another in love. You speak the truth in love. You correct one another while guarding yourself that you don't fall. Because we all struggle to live zacked. Not by our might. Not by our power. By his spirit. This is the most Pentecostal message that anybody can preach. We are a spirit people. And I'm telling you, it's all by the spirit. 
That's what I'm telling you. It's all by the Spirit. It's not by what you do. I don't mean to say, Paul says, I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He already bought you with a price. You're not your own. You don't have to. Your identity is set. Every one of my, this is a bad example because it's a human example, but every one of my children, I don't care what they do, they are my children. Their mother's and I's name is on their birth certificate till the day they day. I don't care if they change their gender. I don't care if they change their identity. I don't care what they do. The reality is, is that they are mine. I don't care what you do. God bought you with a price. I don't care what you do, fail or win. God bought you with a price. If there's even the slightest bit, and I'm telling you, there's nobody here that there isn't a slightest bit. If there's even the slightest bit of your mind, your heart, your thoughts towards God. He wants to save you. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Here's Zach in Paul's words. I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past. Notice, that's the losses. That's the, the people he killed and imprisoned. And that's the wins. That spotless record of obedience to the law. That righteous pursuit that he had had since a young boy. He says, I, I, I forget the past. forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead I reach out I reach forward what, what, what's in front of me I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us that all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Whoever is coming for the music, if you'd come. So today, we got a lot of sayings around Newark in different ways that we've preached and different things. My dad has left us with a number of them. I have some. Arash has contributed, Leela, Desi, you're not that pretty. The God of Enough, Slow Read. I mean, we just, we got a lot of these around. I want to leave you with one more. And you don't have to judge one another, and you don't have to hurt one another. But I want it to become a byword here that you can challenge one another, both in encouragement and in correction. How's your Zach doing? You struggling with Zach these days? It's not just our Bible quizzers that need to know this. My dear brothers and sisters who I love with all of my heart, this is how you serve him. This is how you are his disciple.
He bought you with a price. You're not your own. And the reason you're worthy is because he deemed you worthy. So it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Oh, this is why he said, he says, I, I gave you a law, but your hearts were hard and you couldn't obey it. He said, so I'm going to come in my spirit and I'm going to take the old stony heart out and I'm going to put a new heart of flesh in you. And on that heart of flesh, I'm going to write my commandments. But because my spirit's living in you, now you will be able to be obedient. Are you zacked? If you're not, lay down your pride and receive the grace of the Almighty God. Your pride might be that you've done so well and you want credit for it. Your pride might be that you've done so poorly. How could God ever use you? I'm here to tell you it's by His Spirit that all of that can happen. Y'all know I'm a flawed human being because I've showed it to you. I've never held myself up to have it together. And I've given all of you permission to kind of poke fun at me when I was falling short. I'm not worthy. All the things that I have worked so hard to do and that matter in the kingdom. In the end, they don't matter. And all those times I've failed him. All those ways that I've fallen short. In the end, they don't matter. Am I willing put it all behind me and am I willing to lift my hand to him and say master I love you and I receive whatever you have for me all across this congregation those of you that are already zacked would you slip your hand into the air and begin to worship and those of the, you that aren't Maybe you've got to spend a moment putting it behind you. Maybe you need a moment here in these final few moments of this service that you've got to, you've got to work through that in the end, His grace is sufficient. And then slip your hand into the air and say, God, I'm yours. I am your child. I am your son. I am your daughter. It is all about what you have done for me. It's not about what I've done for you. Jesus, I love you today. Jesus, I worship you, Lord. God, I magnify your name today, Jesus.
God, by the power of your spirit, Lord, would you take this thought, Lord, would you take this principle of discipleship and would you bury it deep in the hearts and minds of these brothers and sisters of mine? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you give them peace that passeth all understanding? Would you give them hope, Lord, that cannot be extinguished? Would you give them strength, Lord, that will keep them through the hard times? God, will you surround them with your love? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I magnify your name and I worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I magnify and I worship your name, Lord Jesus. God, I worship you because of who you are, not because of who I am. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord, we're in your hand. Jesus, we're in your hand. No man can pluck us out of your hand, Jesus. We're in your hand, Jesus. You have us. You have us. You have us. Oh, guide us and direct us, yes, Lord. But let us first settle that we are in your hand. You have us. You have not abandoned us. You have not left us. You are with us always. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I magnify your name, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Could we receive his word and worship? Would you stand to your feet right now and lift your hands to him and love him together? Jesus, I worship you and I receive you, Lord. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. All across this congregation, would you lift at least one hand into the air? Keep that hand open and say, God, I receive whatever you've got for me. Correction, I receive it. Direction, I receive it. Forgiveness, I receive it. Peace, I receive it. Kindness, I receive it. Grace, I receive it. I worship you for who you are. I worship you for who you are. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I worship you for who you are, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I praise your name, Jesus. You are worthy, Almighty God. You are worthy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we worship your name, Jesus. Yes, we magnify you, almighty God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I love you. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Let your wind come between beneath our wings, oh God. Lift us up on your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your love. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I worship you. Oh, I praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I worship you and I praise you. Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of Almighty God. Praise the name of Almighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. If you're one of our uh, either first time or returning guests, we'd love to spend a little bit of time with you in our reception room. So if you're on my right uh, and your right as you're headed out, uh, and the rest of you, you know what's happening. If you've got Bible quizzing, that's coming up as well. Various things that are happening. God bless you. Have a great week. This week we do not have small groups. Next week we will. And so we're looking forward to continuing our lessons about who God is. God bless you all. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.